I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hi, this is Human Ordinary. I'm Sam Loy. Welcome to the show. It's election season in Australia at the moment. It's May 2019, and it looks very probable that we'll have a new Prime Minister soon. That will be our seventh in nine years. It's a bit of a pathetic joke. But one thing that I always find actually funny is how people are often so surprised when elections don't go their way. I think we surround ourselves with friends that are like us. Makes sense. You know, they think like us and value similar things. So that we can fall into this trap of believing that everyone is just like us. So when our preferred candidate doesn't get up, the result can seem mystifying. Our own beliefs, our own ways, they seem so normal, so ordinary to us, that it is a gnawing conundrum how others can think differently to us. So today on the show, we're not talking politics, but we are talking trains. And it's a story by May Jasper about trying to get to the bottom of a gnawing conundrum. This episode is about why we love what we love, and it starts in 2017 when I was on a trip across America making a podcast about trains. I travelled from New York to Seattle via Atlanta, so not the direct route, by trains and buses for the bits where there weren't train lines. And along the way, I talked to people about trains and why they're awesome. Now, let me just say right up front, this episode is about why we love what we love, I don't love trains. In fact, I knew basically nothing about trains before getting to America. So why did I want to talk to people about trains being awesome? Well, I could give you a complicated reason about the insight transportation gives into history and geography and economics and war, but the answer is actually a simple reason. I didn't know trains were awesome, but I knew that a trip like that Across America, by rail, meeting someone new every day, learning something new every day, I knew it would make a good story. And that's why I love what I love, story. Everything that I'm passionate about, books, movies, all of them have surprise, suspense, an engaging narrative that keeps you hooked till the very end. Every morning on my journey across America, I woke up excited to find out what that day's story would be confident that it would be great, because after all, all the great stories are about journeys. One morning, about a week into my journey, I woke up in Raleigh, North Carolina, unaware that today I would witness something inexplicable. It was also the day that I met this guy. Yeah, my name is uh, Joshua Trower. I work at the uh, City of Raleigh Museum and a big-time rail enthusiast. Josh is great. An engaging interview, a fun dude. He likes exotic foreign television programs. I get most of my Australian history from watching Dr. Blake Mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that is... I can't believe you watch Dr. Blake Mysteries, actually. That's amazing. 
He has a pleasant singing voice. You leave the Pennsylvania station about a quarter to four, read a magazine and then you're in Baltimore. I spent a lot of time in America bullying people into singing that song. It's uh, Chattanooga Choo Choo. It's a famous American song about a choo-choo, so it's right in my wheelhouse. And of course, the best thing about Josh, from my point of view anyway, is he is passionately interested in the ins and outs of moving trains around Raleigh. So basically the Southern Railway and the Seaboard, they ran exactly parallel to each other for nine miles. So it was like a double-track mainline railway, two different railroads. And the next stop, Cary, two lines separate. Right. So, I meet Josh, and he takes me on a walking tour of Raleigh rail sites. Now, Raleigh is a beautiful city, very pleasant to walk through, big wide streets, some lovely old buildings, but it must be said, the day we go on this walking tour, it's a very hot day. Must be 40 degrees, not unusual for July in the American South. So by the time we've seen the rail yards and the site of the Schmick new rail station they're building, due to open next year, I'm feeling a bit sweaty, a bit tuckered out. But then we pass the current train station, where I had arrived into Raleigh just last night, and we hear this. Okay, so we can get to the bridge, catch them up there. Okay, done. I don't know if you caught that announcement, but there's a train arriving, the 1018, coming from the south, heading north. And Josh's suggestion is that we head up to a bridge and watch it come in. He heads off at a fair clip, me half running after him. We climb uphill through a few back streets, and then we arrive at the bridge, a road bridge over the rail line. A lot of traffic on it, trucks and cars whizzing by. We take up a position, leaning over the rail facing back towards the station, maybe 100 metres away. And we stand there, waiting for a train to come in. Anyway, we should probably get out of the full sun, although we're expecting a train, right? Yep. OK, good. Then I'll keep standing here. 10.18. should be any minute now. Let's move over here. OK. You understand we're not getting on the train. We couldn't. We're not at the station. We're on a bridge on a hot day in the full sun. And the plan is to watch the train arrive, look at it while it's here, and then watch it leave. We have arrived at the inexplicable, and I am super excited. I mean, I know that people do this, stand by the side of the train tracks, watching trains, making notes, train spotters, rail enthusiasts. Is that the right word? Oh, here's a question I've been wondering about. Train, rail enthusiast is what I keep saying. Mm-hmm. Is that the best? Is not, I'm not saying train spotter, for example. You know, in the U.S., they go by rail fan. Though a lot of railroad employees, they'll call us foamers because we foam at the mouth whenever we see a train. But why do foamers do this? Why do they find it engaging? Why do they love it? From my point of view, this seems to be the opposite of everything that I love. I love suspense and surprise, but trains run on a schedule. And a schedule is the opposite of a surprise. All the great stories are journeys, but we're literally waiting for a train that we're not going to get on. That's the opposite of a journey. But all the great stories in the world that are not journeys are mysteries. And I can solve this one right now. I have the answer standing next to me, getting sunburnt on a bridge. Luckily, the train is a bit late, so I have some time to try and tease out with Josh why he feels this way about trains. And here's what he said. 
there's a there's a lot the history. Like my dad's a mechanical engineer, so he loves the mechanics of steam, how it all works, how you take fire and water and turn it into propulsion. And there are a lot of people that put their cameras away when the steam era ended. Since I loved it, I loved the old stuff. I loved the steam. But diesels, they would be okay. I just don't like to really go and take my take pictures of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't get it. I don't understand that answer. We move to the other side of the bridge, facing away from the station, towards where the train will be coming from, and I try again. But if I'm honest, the bits I like at steam engines are the ones where you can see all the stuff. I oh, like the, the steam punky, you know, <laughs> like, and they're gleaming and they're and they're so intricate. I kind of like that look to them. Um, do I mean, you have a preference, or do you just like them? All? Um, I pretty much like all steam engines worldwide. Love love American steam engines. Love German steam engines. Eventually, I'll get out to. England and Australia and see their steam engines. So it's not a particular aesthetic. Is it purely mechanical or is it nostalgia? It's it's all combined. It's all combined. I asked him twice in the space of two minutes, what do you like about trains? And the best answer I got was, it's all combined. Josh and I, up to this point, We've been having a fun day, singing songs, getting some exercise, but I'll be honest, in that moment, I suddenly felt like I was talking to an alien. A a well-intentioned alien, trying the best he can to explain what it's like to taste sunlight and breathe silicon. A few minutes later, the train arrives, and we rush down from the bridge to look at it up close. Josh runs ahead of me so as not to miss it. I scurry after him. We get there, and... It's a train. I mean, it showed up. A little late. Was a train. Left again. Inexplicable. So, Josh was not the solution to my mystery. But luckily, he was also not my only interview that day. I had a lunch interview planned with this guy. My name is Devin Mosley of Durham, North Carolina. I met Devin through Nick's Trains, a model train hobby shop in Raleigh. I wrote them an email asking to be put in touch with a rail fan. They sent me to Devin. We agreed to meet at Old Time Barbecue, which is a diner in the middle of nowhere. I had to take two buses and walk along a highway to get there. The diner sits opposite the railway track, and I had read online that it was a good place to watch trains go by. It's very busy with the kind of stone-faced waitstaff that people like me always see as a challenge. Would you like slow on your sandwich? Yes. Then I will have eaten a vegetable today. (laughs) Nope. Still didn't crack a smile. Also, the diner's tagline on all its advertising is old-time barbecue, a great place to get porked. It's a classy joint. Anyway, Devin is a sweetheart. He's a young man. 18 years old, starting college in the fall, and he's clearly a little thrown to be having lunch with a foreign stranger in a tacky barbecue joint in the middle of nowhere. Um, I'm really not sure yet. Uh, can I get fried chicken and some macaroni and cheese? You want white or dark meat, honey? Uh, it doesn't matter. I was going to say white meat, I guess. You want the breast and the wing or the leg and the thigh? Leg and the thigh, please. The I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I, I oh, Bless. Anyway, he's a little shy and a little awkward, but over the course of lunch, he opens up a bit. Turns out he loves 10-pin bowling, particularly a fan of Australian bowler Jason Balmonte. 
No, uh, he lives around uh, in New South Wales. Over yep. There. Yep. So uh, yeah, he's just been kind of really famous over here. He's like a great bowler. He also, like most Americans, has a very definite opinion on the topic of barbecue. Because uh, it's, it's really okay. This is North Carolina. It's a vinegar versus tomato thing. Yeah. I'm a vinegar guy. I grew up yeah. on. I was actually born in Greenville, mm-hmm. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. There's actually not a lot of trains around there, but the barbecue is great. <laughs> and of course, he really loves trains. So, what is it? What aspect of trains are you most excited about? Is it seeing them go by? Is it being on them? Is it knowing the exact makes and models? What's the bits that's the best? I think it's really their size. Mm-hmm. Like they're huge. Mm. What? Like you see a truck and it's there and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, a train is like eight, nine times bigger than a bus. It carries a lot more people at a lot faster speeds. And then you have the freight trains doing a truck's job so much faster and easier. Mm. Yeah. I'm getting that feeling again, the talking to an alien feeling. I guess it's not so much that it's inexplicable this time as it's frustratingly vague. It's their size? Okay, then why not be a fan of freight ships or cargo planes or or skyscrapers? What is it about trains specifically? And why would their size make you want to watch them come in? Maybe, I thought, as I paid for lunch and began walking back to the bus stop. Maybe I'm thinking about this too hard. After all, I'm not subjecting any of Devon's other passions to this kind of scrutiny. I'm perfectly happy to accept that he likes bowling. It's a sport, a thing you can play and watch and things happen. People win, people lose. And barbecue. Don't even get me started on barbecue. I had not been in America long before understanding that every American has an opinion on barbecue. Devon talked about the vinegar versus tomato rivalry. There's also a Lexington versus Greenville debate, and that's about which part of the pig to use. And that's before you get into Kansas City barbecue, Texas barbecue. Having investigated the matter thoroughly throughout the trip, I can now say that I am a Kansas City barbecue girl myself, KCBBQ for life, but people can like what they like, and I'm not going to question it. Because Even if I don't love Lexington barbecue, I can imagine what the people who do like it are getting out of it. You know, pleasant mouth sensations, I assume. I can understand why deliciousness is fun. But while I can respect that people like trains, I don't understand why waiting for them to come in is fun. So the mystery remains. As I left Raleigh, I was perplexed, but I wasn't worried yet. Sure, I didn't have a solution to the mystery, but after all, I'd only talked to two people. I asked them why they liked waiting for trains to come in. I didn't understand their answers. It doesn't mean there's no answer. Maybe they're just not explaining it well. Maybe they're a little inarticulate. But then I went to Richmond, Virginia, and I met Steve Tarrant. And he is super articulate, a lover of words of all kinds. Master maniac is an old 19th century term for a master mechanic. I like it. Uh, you, you will find a knowledge of history often leads to us using antique words and phrases just for the fun of it. Yeah, why not? If I could be called the master maniac, I would. Steve 
is a passionate volunteer at a tiny railway museum in Richmond. He's a southern gentleman, a dedicated rail fan, and here's what he had to say about the appeal of watching trains. There is no invention of the mind and hand of man that is as fascinating as the external machinery and the rhythmic sound of the steam locomotive. The steam locomotive actually, and many people have described it as almost like a living creature. You hear it breathing, it's rhythmic. And of course, rhythm is a basic nature of man. And don't take me to task. I include woman in that man. I mean, it sounds wonderful. Apart from the sexism, that description sounds romantic and evocative and wonderful. But when he said that, my stomach dropped. I began to worry, really worry, that this mystery was going to turn out to be one I could never solve. Because maybe trains... We're going to turn out to be like music. Okay, here's the thing. I don't like music. I know, I know, I can practically hear all of you gasping in unison, but I just don't get it. What's happening in music? What's engaging about it? A verse, a chorus, and then what happened? Another verse? How surprised I am. You could have knocked me down with a feather. I like singing because singing is fun. When you're singing, you're doing a thing. What's fun about not doing a thing and instead listening to someone else do a thing? I like going for long walks too. You know what I don't want to do? Watch someone else go for a walk. I'll admit, I get too head up about this, but the fact is I've had many conversations with people about music, trying to understand why they like it. And this stuff with Steve is starting to sound eerily familiar. Rhythmic like a living creature. You just feel it. It's like a vibe, man. God damn it. Maybe I'm never going to understand trains. That night in my Airbnb, I tried to reconcile myself to never getting it. I told myself that it was stupid to get hung up on this. You can't explain the inexplicable, and there is nothing more inexplicable than why we love what we love. If someone tells you they love their wife because of her smile, you don't Badger them with questions about it. Um, excuse me, uh, what do you mean her smile? Is there a precise facial movement that triggers the feeling of love in you? Maybe if we break it down to muscular subgroupings, that could be... No, you can't ask questions like that because you're never going to get a satisfying answer. And so I shrugged it off and went to sleep. And then, a week later, I went to Nashville. And folks... I solved the mystery. After the break, I break down train love to its muscular subgroupings with the most patient man in Tennessee. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Indochino. And this promo for Indochino is a true story. Indochino make made-to-measure menswear, shirts and suits tailored to your exact measurements for maximum fit and comfort. And because they're a great bunch of people, they gave me a free shirt. So I log on to their website, Indochino.com, and pick out a trendy-looking button-up shirt. And with most clothing websites, that would have been the end of it, but not with Indochino. I got to customise the collar, the cuffs, the buttons on the collar and cuffs, the lining, whether it was a casual or formal fit, whether it had a pocket or not, and, most impressively, I could add a monogram. I didn't, but it's awesome the option is there. Then came the fitting. Now, I don't have much idea about what my measurements are, but Indochino takes you through the process with simple-to-follow videos that you and your partner or friend can work through. Once those measurements are entered, they're on the site for good ready to be used for any purchase you make in the future. So not only am I getting a shirt customised to my preferences, but it's also going to fit perfectly. And this week, you can get any premium Indochino suit for just 569 Australian dollar bucks at Indochino.com when you enter the code HUMAN. That's a massive 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com and promo code HUMAN for any premium suit for just $569 with free shipping. That's a premium deal for a premium suit. Okay, may I have your attention, please? This is Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. I arrived at 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, and if I'd wanted to, I could have headed straight from the station to Honky Tonk Row and heard some of the best country music in the world. Of course, I I didn't do that because music is stupid. And also, I had to be up bright and early in the morning to meet Bob Holtman. Uh, Just get you to tell me what you had for breakfast, just to check that I have this level set right. What I had for breakfast? Mm Mm-hmm. A uh, two two tablets, two drugs. Oh, that doesn't sound right. And uh, half a glass or full glass of water. That was Uh, breakfast. That sounds delicious. (laughs) Yum, yum. Now... At this point in my other interviews, this is where I would try to give you an idea of what Bob the person is like. Devon, you'll remember, loves barbecue. He's a sweetheart. Steve loves words. He's articulate. Josh loves Australian historical dramas. He's engaging. But Bob, look, I don't know anything that Bob loves other than trains, but he really loves trains. And the fact is, he's not Engaging. A uh, locomotive that uh, uh, succeeded the E1As and E2s, uh, E3s, E5s, E7s. What Bob is, as I said before the break, is patient. We spoke for two hours at the Tennessee Central Railway Museum, where Bob is the vice president. The museum is housed in a shabby building near a railway siding with a bunch of passenger cars out the back on rows and rows of tracks. The place basically feels like a scout hall with a second story. We did the interview in an office upstairs. At the front of the museum is a flagpole flying the American flag and in the office is an ADSL modem, which you'll hear occasionally chirping during our discussion. Now... Bob is in many ways the archetypal rail fan. He's been interested in rail since... Before first grade, which was 60-plus years ago. (laughs) 
Do you have an early memory of, of trains that really pulled you in? Uh, yes. Uh, my great uncle, uh, Paul, lived in Hagerstown, Maryland. And he would uh, take me to the Western Maryland Railway's freight yards in Hagerstown, watch uh, the switch engines uh, kicking cars around, classifying cars, trains coming in, going out. And so I was very keen for Bob to solve this mystery for me, to explain what's engaging about watching a train come in. As I often do when I want someone to explain something, I started off by establishing my level of ignorance. So I told Bob about a chat I'd had a few days before with Mark Brown at the North Carolina Museum of Transportation. They have a big collection of locomotives, and Mark pointed to a weird boxy-looking one and said, of course, this is very similar to the train that would have pulled you into the station today. And I thought, you're probably right, but I never look at the locomotive on the front of a pad. <laughs> I'm too focused on getting into the carriage. From then on, I now always have to go and at the end of each train journey just run up and go, oh, yeah, okay, that looks, I can see what that is now. But I never thought to do it. It's terrible. Yeah. If, if someone isn't much of a rail fan and the last thing in, in their thought is, well... What's pulling this thing? Yeah. What's pulling this train? <laughs> Whereas if you're a rail fan, you ignore everything else and all all I'm focusing on is the equipment and the paint schemes, what the numbers are for the various cars, etc. So, now that we're all on the same page, I get to the real question. For a rail fan, for someone who's looking at a, a train, you're noticing those details and you can research and find the reasons for them. What is it that draws you to that like is it is it about gathering knowledge is it about what is it what is it that pulls you in about it why have you spent 60 years noticing that stuff because for me personally i just have a fascination for things railroad some of the things that i might look for would be well uh, where is the horn mounted the air horn mounted on this locomotive versus this other locomotive, say, of the same batch. Let's say this locomotive is... Uh, you heard what happened there, right? I asked Bob why he finds the technical details of train design so interesting, and he responds with more technical details of train design. And this happened repeatedly during this interview. I would ask why he loved trains, and he would talk about air horn placement. I would ask about feelings. He would talk about facts. I would ask in general, and he would respond in specific. And the more we went round and round, the more it became clear Bob could not answer my questions generally, because the reason he loves trains does not lie in generalities. It lies in specifics. The details are not him getting distracted from the question. The details are the answer to the question. If only I could understand them. So I tried... To understand them. I tried really hard. If you want to run your locomotive on lightly built roadbed bridges and rail. What does lightly built mean? Uh, not heavy. Okay. It means... Uh, but I didn't have much luck. Sure, I could understand the basic concept of what light rail is. It's because any one section of railroad is not going to be as durable as as a heavier um, yeah, uh, sort of getting that right? 
Yes, yes, basically. The very basic concept. And I could also understand the basic concepts behind horsepower and drive wheels. But I couldn't fit any of it together in my head into one big picture. And then Bob started telling a story about a light rail section of the Milwaukee Railroad. And it all suddenly snapped into focus when he said this. What they did was they would multiple unit four and five of these switch engines, the SW1 that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, switch engines, SW1, sounds like more technical details, but here's the difference. I know what a switch engine is. It's a little engine, much smaller than a usual locomotive, used to move or switch train cars around in a rail yard. They're adorable, so tiny. And what Bob is describing is four switch engines in a row toodling through rural Milwaukee. Double, quadruple adorable, but also why? They would, they would have four or five of those strung together and they would run them out on these uh, light rail branch lines to haul in the agricultural harvests, mainly wheat and other grains. And well, why? Well, they're, they're only 600 horsepower each, but you get four of them, that's 2,400 horsepower, and you've got eight drive wheels times five, that's 40 drive wheels, and it's spread out. Got it. Uh, And I actually do got it. Suddenly, I can picture it. And now all the other jargon is falling into place. It's probably not falling into place for you, but you haven't been talking to Bob for two hours, so I'll try and summarise. Imagine you're standing by the railroad tracks on the edge of a wheat field in the full sun, and you see a train coming towards you, towing a big, heavy load of grain. And on the front, instead of your usual one powerful freight locomotive, there's four cute little switch engines. It's a bizarre sight, not something you've ever seen before. Who the hell thought that was a good idea, you think? It's a mystery. And anyone could think that. Seriously, it must look ridiculous. Even if you know nothing about trains, it's definitely strange, definitely intriguing. But if you do know about trains, it's a mystery you can solve. You would know that switch engines don't have a lot of horsepower, but put four together and it adds up. You would know that each engine has eight drive wheels, a lot for a small engine, so they can't go fast but they can pull a lot. And then, after the train has passed, you walk up to the tracks and there's the last clue staring you right in the face. The tracks are light rail. That means it was cheap to build, but it's flimsy, not durable. And instead of upgrading to heavier rail, suitable for one big freight locomotive, the local money-grubbing rail baron has just made do with four switch engines instead. You've solved your mystery. And now, imagine that you don't just know something about trains, you know everything about trains. So much that any shift in design, any little change in the position of an air horn or the arrangement of the wheels looks as strange to you as the sight of four tiny engines waddling in a row like ducklings with a huge load coming along behind. Every train is a mystery, 
And so you're out, standing by the train tracks all the time, waiting for a new mystery to roll in. Yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, what you're seeing when you look at these, look for these features on a locomotive or... Um, By looking at these features, you can work out, like, the geography of the engine, the history of the engine, the... Yeah, if you've uh, read and retained enough information over the years, um, it's just something that uh, you have from, from experience. My hope for this trip was that I would take a journey across America by train and it would make a good story. But it turns out I didn't need to go to all that trouble. You don't need to ride a train to find a story. Trains tell a story all by themselves. There's a language to trains. People with the right knowledge can read them. For the right person, seeing five little engines doing the work of one big one tells them a story about a money-grubbing rail baron. For the right person, an articulated wheel arrangement tells a story about a train built to navigate tightly curved track about a dangerous journey through a winding mountain pass. For the right person, the position of an air horn tells a story... Of, uh, look, I'm, I'm still not sure what the story is with the air horn, but I know that there is one. And I know that when I asked people, why do you like trains, and they answered with makes and models and it's all combined and cause they're so big, they were genuinely trying to answer me. In the end, it's not their fault I don't speak train. And here is the even greater truth. That, what I just said, it's not the real solution at all. It's the solution for me, because it's the one that syncs up with what I value. It makes trains into stories. But many of you may well have found Steve's explanation about steam trains and the rhythm of life to be much more satisfying. You are presumably also the kinds of people who can actually enjoy going to a music concert and not spend the whole time thinking about how your feet hurt. Why people love what they love depends a lot on what they value. There's no way to objectively measure how lovable something is, and that's why other people's passions can seem so inexplicable when you don't share them. The fact is, despite my revelation, I'm not planning to spend any of my spare time watching trains come in. More importantly, I'm not going to spend the next 60 years researching train design so that I can learn to read trains the way that Bob does. But we're all foamers about something. Now, if I meet someone on a bridge, on a hot day, in the full sun, staring down a railway track, at least I have some sense of what they're waiting for. Thanks to all my interviewees for this episode, Josh, Devon, Steve, Mark and Bob. And thanks to everyone else that I interviewed on my big trip across America. One day, I'll make episodes about all of you, I promise. That was May Jasper. May has a lot more material about American train enthusiasts and will hopefully turn it into a long-form series one day. If you like what you just heard and want to hear more, Let May know by contacting her through the website, humanordinary.com. May's old show is still wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Random Article, and it's a cracker. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Sam Loy, May Jasper, Mick Cavazzini, and Cinnamon Depard. 
Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at Acast. Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley and our theme music is by The Contortionist's Handbook. Score a t-shirt and ad-free episodes by subscribing to Human Ordinary at Possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.